Well, happy Mother's Day. Again, we appreciate all you moms and uh, being here in service with us. We want to welcome you all. Welcome, Paulding. Uh, we've had a, a great service last time. We're, we're speaking about something. We're going to use mothers. But before I get there, um, there's some things happening in our community that I want to make you aware of. We, uh, there, there's a, a couple... Yesterday, we had a big night of worship thing here, which was great. How many of you were, were here for that? Yeah, you know, fantastic. And, uh, um, but also yesterday, there was Walk for Life. And this is a, a ministry, Heartbeat and Hope Medical, uh, is a ministry that we ve- feel very uh, connected to. And what, I want to do something a little different, uh, although we, we did something a little bit like this last week. But if you're new here, we really don't do this this much, you know, but maybe once in a while. I'd like to take a special offering for Heartbeat and Hope Medical. I, I see Lisa right down here. She didn't know I was going to do this. So, uh, but I, I, she is the president of the board. And uh, a bunch of our people are, are involved and did some walking yesterday and, and all that stuff. But... Uh, but I just wanted, I thought it would be good for us just to try to bless them as a church. So in just a moment, we're going to take a special offering. The second offering, some of you, we already took the offering. Yeah, it's another offering. And everything that you give will go to Heartbeat Hope Medical. It, Heartbeat Hope Medical, Lisa, is that one, like if you're going to write a check, is it Heartbeat Hope Medical, not Heartbeat or Hope Medical, because Hope Medical is into, it's just the whole thing. Heartbeat Hope Medical, you can make a check out that way. Or if you did it to Grace Community we'd get it to them. But anything in this offering does not stay in this church. It goes away from us uh, to that organization. And uh, we'd like the ushers to come and get ready to do that right now. And, and Lisa, I may owe you an apology. I hardly ever post on Facebook. And, uh, and I posted something yesterday, and I mentioned about the, the walk that was happening yesterday morning. And then I said, here are a bunch of people that are walking, because I had gone to the website, but I it didn't look like you were walking or, you know, you weren't able to be sponsored. So I said, and because I was mentioning people from our church, and then I said, and Lisa is running it. Okay, but now, see, what I meant was, right, what I meant was that you were overseeing it, not running it. So I don't know if people were trying to sponsor you for that or whatever, but that's, that's what I meant. Go ahead and, and pass these as people get time to participate. Again, all this goes away from us, not for church. This is for a great ministry that we have felt a connection to over the years um, as it ministers crisis pregnancy situations and, and, and gives uh, people the resources that they need. So I'll tell you, as we're doing that, uh, one more opportunity we have in our community. Uh, last summer, we partnered with uh, Fremont City Schools, and then we did this uh, lunch, uh, a lunch program during this, the summer for some of our uh, neighborhoods that, that needed it. And we're going to do that again. That worked out beautifully last summer because we had so many volunteers from our church. We're, we're kind of thinking we'd like to do that again, and, and, and we've expressed interest. Again, it's, it's Grace Community, no other church, just Grace Community and Fremont City Schools doing this. And so, but, and if you'd like us to do that, that's an opportunity for you to jump in it's like a couple hours in the middle of the day at lunchtime on certain days for a short summer. And uh, it, it doesn't really last that long. And you can just sign up for certain days. So if you're inclined to maybe help out with that on a day or two, a week or whatever, we need you calling the church office so we can make that happen. Uh, we want to be a blessing to our community. And so help us 
Help us to do that. All right, well, we're in a series called Counterintuitive, where we are looking at things in the Bible that, that aren't uh, intuitive like we might think, but they're actually, biblical truth, counterintuitive is what the Bible's teaching us. And one of those things we're going to learn today is that the, the whole way, it's so basic, the whole way we approach God is actually counterintuitive. The way we approach God is not the way we might naturally do that. It's, it's actually counter to that. It's not intuitive. And we're going to look today at the story of a mother in the New Testament. And she really, her story serves to teach us about this counterintuitive way to approach God. And it's in Mark chapter 7. I'd like you to, to turn there. And I'll set the context as you're turning there. This is a point in Jesus' ministry where, where things are really rolling. And, uh, and his ministry's thriving. He's healed some people. Large crowds are following him everywhere. Maybe too many people. And what's, what's going on is Jesus, as he's interacting with all these crowds, he's trying to get away for, for maybe one of a couple things. Could be just to rest. Or it could be so that he could have some one-on-twelve time with his disciples. And so what he does is he goes to the northwest of Israel. And then he leaves Israel. He's toward the coast of the Mediterranean. And he enters this area of Tyre and Sidon. And when he does that, he's going into enemy country, enemy territory, Gentile country. And he does that because most Jewish people will not enter into Gentile country because they're unclean and all this stuff. So, so he does that to kind of get away from the crowds. He actually goes into a city named Tyre and he ducks in, he goes to a home trying to be not noticed. And uh, what we figure out from the story is that his fame has spread so much, even in this Gentile region, that people are seeking him out even there. But he's kind of trying to get away. And uh, it's kind of something maybe you don't normally hear about Jesus, but, but it happened. And I want us to pick it up in, in Mark 7. And hey, I got this new handy-dandy screen, and so we can go through this together. Although the font might be a little small for you guys in the back. But anyway, Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him... A woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying, this is Jesus, Jesus was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, you read this response to Jesus, and, and how many of you are kind of thinking, wow, that sounds a little harsh. And, and really, it kind of is a little harsh. I mean, we'll get to the specifics later. But, but he's interacting with her. What's going on here? It almost sounds like Jesus is, is a racist, that she's a Gentile, and he's calling her a dog, which Jewish people did call Gentiles dog. And she's un. She's a woman, a Gentile, that makes her unclean according to Jewish tradition. 
Uh, she had a daughter who had an evil spirit, which makes her daughter unclean. And, and, you know, there's a lot of dynamics going on for this woman to come and approach Jesus' way. And basically, Jesus, his overall response in a general way is he's saying, hey, there's an order to things. It's to the, I've come to the Jews first, and then the Gentiles is basically what he's saying. Not right to give Israel's bread, the children's bread, to the dogs. And, uh, and this, she goes on, we're going to talk about her answer in a moment. She answers very well. But what's this all about? This whole story, what's happening in, in Mark chapter 7 is really Mark teaching us about the different approaches to God. Because before this, he set this story in Jesus' life up with an interaction that Christ had with the Pharisees, and it kind of all comes together. And here's the thing. How we approach God is the most foundational thing about salvation, about grace, about the gospel. And again, the gospel just means good news. Christianity is based on an event, news that happened. And when you understand this news and, you understand, and you're approaching God the right way, it will allow the news of the gospel, the grace of the gospel, which grace is just gift, the gift of this news to sink down into the depths of your soul. And when that happens, then you can respond to God in a way with faith and he'll come into your life and he'll change you from the inside out forever. But the key is grace doesn't come automatically. The gospel isn't received by default. We have to get grace by approaching God the right way. And if we don't approach God the right way, we will miss it. We'll miss grace. We'll miss the gospel. And I'm convinced that there are people that sit uh, in, in pews and chairs and theater seats every Sunday morning and they still have missed the gospel. They've missed grace. And that's why this is so important and we really need to, to nail that down today. So how do you approach God? And we're going to see how this breaks out at the first part of this, what leads up to this story about the mother. And what Mark talks about before then is an interaction that Jesus has with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, what they did in their approach to God, because they intuitively approached to God, they, they approached God in a way that made sense to them. They approached God by connecting with him through keeping the law. You see, the Jewish people were a special people chosen by God, and God revealed himself through them, and God gave the whole world the law through the Jewish people. And so the Jewish people instinctively, intuitively knew that if they could keep this law, if they could do what God says is right and wrong, then they'll be good with God. The problem was nobody could keep the law. So when they realized this, oh, we got a problem here. We can't do this. So then they started developing traditions that served to actually dilute the law down to something that was doable, and that's the tradition of the Pharisees. They have taken the law, they've dumbed it down, they've diluted it into a way that they can actually keep it. 
And I want to look at a passage earlier in Mark chapter 7 that talks about that beginning in verse 9. So he's talking to the Pharisees now before he leaves Israel and goes to Tyre. And he says, and he was also saying to them, and he's very confrontational, Jesus is. You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have, whatever I have that would help you is korban, that is to say, given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother. Thus, invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down... And you do many such, many things such as that. Do you hear the accusation going on? Jesus is confronting the Pharisees. They're talking to him. They're in, they're in a conversation about clean and unclean. And he confronts them. You've diluted the law. You've come up with these traditions. And he picks one out. The fifth commandment is honor your, your mother and your father. The, honor your parents. Fifth command. And it means just the way we would read that today. Well, honor them, uh, you know, respect them, obey them. That's what we're supposed to do, especially as children, we obey. But we honor them our whole life. But there's something that, was, that the, the first century Jews that maybe we miss. And that is part of honoring your parents was actually that you would provide for them in their old age. And that was maybe more needed than now. The principle still applies today. But back then, there was no social security. There was no uh, kind of a safety net for, for older people. Once they couldn't produce or they couldn't work the fields, they didn't have an income. And so God is telling in the law, the Ten Commandments, that one of the commands is that you will honor your father and mother. And part of that, the Jewish people always understood, is to take care of them financially. You honor them for your whole life. And so when they got older, it's taking care of them financially. But the, the tradition came about that diluted that. And here's how that happened, this Corbain, Corban thing. What was happening there is the Pharisees came up with a system where they said, look, what you can do is kind of do a living will. And if a, a living will, like it would be today, where you say, hey, all my possessions, all my money, when I die goes to God or the temple is what they would have said all my money goes to the temple and because I've done and that's Corban and because I've done that now because my money even though I control it until my death and do whatever I want with it to my death I no longer have to provide for my parents because it's not really my money anymore of course you're using it for everything else you want to use it for but I don't have to provide for my parents because technically it's not my money anymore it's God's money. I'm going to give it all to him. And the priest said, you're right. If you've dedicated it to God, you should not be supporting your parents with that money. It's God's. Well, this was just an end run around the law. And, and to get even more dark, they came up with a tradition that if you ever changed your mind, like say your parents had passed away because they couldn't eat or whatever, you know, if you ever changed your mind then you could actually pay a fee to the temple and it would remove the corbane off of all your property. 
which was 50 shekels of silver, which was a, a big sum. But, it was, but for rich people, it was like they could pay this money after their parents were gone and then be relieved of that and all the money is theirs again to leave however they want. It's a total end run about the spirit of the law and the intent of the law. It's just a way to not do the law. And this is what Jesus is confronting with them. You have invalidated the law with your traditions. And he's slamming them. But it kind of makes sense because they're coming to God intuitively. They're saying, well, God's given us a law. He wants us to do that. We can't do this. So we got to figure out a way to make this more doable. But in doing that, they totally dilute the law and they mess it up. And I got to tell you, we all, I mean, it's easy for us to go, what were those people thinking? But we all have a tendency to do this. Hopefully not to our parents. But we all have this tendency to dilute God's law down to a standard that we can keep or we can feel good about ourselves or kind of think that, you know, I'm doing okay with this. The bar is up here. And all of us as human beings, we want to say, well, I'm a pretty good person. And I think what God really means is right about here because that's where I'm at. Just right at the top of where I'm at, I think, is, is what it is. No, that's diluting the law of God. We have to keep admitting that we, are, we fall way short of God's law. We still want to follow him. We still want to do it. But we know, hey, we need help. We need outside help, as a matter of fact. So, Because they're thinking obedience is what puts you into relationship. It's, it's if we get whatever, if we follow God right, then he's happy with us and he kind of owes us. But that's totally wrong thinking. It's intuitive but it's wrong. As a matter of fact, obedience never makes relationship. Obedience reflects relationship. That, that's true of Christianity, and it's true of, of parenting as well. Obedience reflects the relationship that's already there. It doesn't make or earn a relationship. So they had that wrong. Well, now what can we learn from this woman in our story because she gets it right. She doesn't approach Jesus or God intuitively. She approaches him counterintuitively, a different way than we would normally think. And how does she do that? Well, first of all, she's desperate. She understands, she doesn't try to downplay her desperation. She's desperate. And she comes to God no telling what. Think about this lady in the first century. She's a Gentile. She lives in Tyre. No mention of her husband. He may not be there or she may be a widow. We don't know. But she has this young daughter who's demon-possessed. Probably every minute of every day is occupied with this problem that her daughter has. And she wants to meet her daughter's needs, but it's impossible. And she's probably worried. She's probably stressed out. She's probably maxed out. She's probably freaked out. I mean, she's doing everything she could do to fix this issue. She's desperate, and she knows it. Now, as I was putting this message together, it occurred to me that some of our moms here today may be feeling just a little bit of what this lady's feeling. Like maybe feeling that, wow, I'm tired, or I'm worried, or I'm stressed, 
or I'm just feeling like I'm not making it, it's not coming together, I'm not doing what I need to do, I'm not getting it done, I'm not a good mother. How many times have you ever said, mom says, am I a bad mother? Am I not a good mother? You know, moms say that all, apparently nobody's ever heard anybody say that. <laughs> anybody with me on that? Oh, am I? Yeah, moms say that kind of stuff. Stressed out. Well, so what I want to do is just give, real quick, some, some parenting tips, maybe to help that. And these aren't funny or anything, these are... And again, I'm not saying this as an expert. I'm no expert in parenting. Pam and I have been doing it for a while. We just got to the empty nest stage. I mean, Chris is still living at home and plans to for a couple years, which is my plan, actually. But, uh, <laughs> but we're kind of at that, you know, she just graduated from college. We're at the empty nest stage. So I, I want to give you four tips for parenting and, you know, take them however you want. But I think these could help you. But if not, make up your own. But anyway, four tips. All right. First of all, before I get to the tips, I want to, I want to give you the goals. What are the goals of parenting? Well, humanly, it, it's simply this, that when our children grow up to become adults, we have a good adult friendship with them. I mean, that's the end game, right, for our relationship. But the goal, the other goal that's more important than that is that they would have a relationship with God, that they would approach God like this woman, we'll get back to in a minute, but they... That you want to use all your influence, all your parenting skills, all your leadership to point them into a relationship with God. Well, how do you do that? Four tips. And here's the first one. Remember, whatever stage you're in and however you feel kind of stressed out, remember this. What you're going through, it's not forever. All right? So you might be wiped out today. You might be thinking, man, I am just tired. Whatever you're going through now is not forever. Actually, there's stages in parenting, four stages. And it kind of goes like this. The discipline years, one through five. The training years, six through 12. The coaching years, 13 through 18. And then the friendship years, 19 plus. Okay, so now here's the problem. Don't get these out of order. If you get these out of order, it's going to jack up your relationship with your kids, I'm telling you. And here's how that happens. It happens right off the bat. It happens right here. Because here's what happens in the one to five years. We can physically dominate our kids. <laughs> so we don't, we don't worry so much about the discipline, go sit down. Because if they don't go sit down, we get them and we sit them down. We can fully control them. So sometimes we slide on the discipline because we have full physical control. Well, when you do that, what happens is they start growing up. And they get here and they're about 11 years old and you tell them to go sit down and they don't sit down like they never have. And then you try to get your 11-year-old to pick them up and sit them down and all of a sudden mom can't lift the 11-year-old anymore. And now it's like, oh, I need discipline. And so now you've got these out of whack and then that messes everything up. Get the discipline down first. Get it down early, even though you can physically control your kids. You've got to have the discipline. The other thing people get out of whack is the friendship. Because here, here's the secret. Moms and parents in general are afraid that their kids won't like them. They're afraid their kids won't like them. And if you have a middle schooler, they won't like you. It's okay. I mean, it's just, that's all right. Just go with that. You know, just, it's, it's not going to last forever. That's the thing. If you get this out of whack, if you start doing the friendship up here or here, 
this whole 19 plus won't be there. Friendship will last longer if you wait to do it down here. It can last a lifetime. But you start bumping that up here and it won't. It will jack up your relationship with your child and you won't have that close friendship when they're an adult. That's just what I'm telling you. Does that make sense? Don't get them out of order. Keep them straight. So that's just the one thing. Hey, moms, whatever you're stressing out over, just remember, hey, it doesn't last forever. There's stages. You'll be in another stage soon. And let me say one more thing along with that. The days are long. I know, mom, when you're here and you're thinking, I discipline my kids all day long. All day, every day. It's like, you know, they're not getting, I mean, just over and over and over and over. I'm just, I get it. The days are long, but remember something. The years are short. The days are long, but the year, you only have a certain amount of time to nail this. So that's the first thing. Hey, if you're kind of stressed out, if you're, you know, mom's a little bit of tip, maybe to help you out, it doesn't last forever. Hang in there. And then the second is, don't freak out. Okay, moms especially, don't freak. And here's what I'm talking about. If you have a middle schooler or a high schooler or anybody like that in your house, when they come and tell you something, don't freak. Whether it's good or bad, even if it's good, don't freak. Or if it's bad, don't freak. So here's the way you play it. You guys look the other way. Here's the way you play it like this. Like say you're standing, uh, putting away dishes. Mom or dad, it doesn't matter. You're putting away dishes, whatever needs to be done in the house. Or peeling potatoes. That's what I always think of, but probably nobody peels them anymore. But you're peeling potatoes, whatever. And your middle schooler comes in and says, Mom, Dad, you, you don't know. here's what happened. Don't freak. Just stand there. Don't react. Because here's the secret. The more you don't react the more they'll tell you. And you'll just be there, you know, at the sink, and they'll be back there. And then this happened, and this happened. And, and even though you're alarmed, don't, don't let them see it, you know. If you turn to them, go, hmm. You know, and so you're peeling, and just let them tell you, and let them tell you, and then, you know, just ask a few questions. So, so who called the fire department? Okay. And the police got there when? You know, just, just real nonchalant. And they'll tell you more and more stuff. If you freak, they'll shut down. So, Little tip. All right. Don't freak. Third tip. The third tip is develop some non-negotiables in your household. Whatever there are for you. We have ours. Everybody has them. But you got to have some non-negotiables. It's kind of like the line is drawn here. For us, that's disobedience, dishonesty, and disrespect. So disobedience, dishonesty, and disrespect... That's where you go, whoa, you just crossed the line. And so we're going to have to figure this out. You're going to have to be punished. By the way, when you're punishing somebody, or even if you're in those discipline years, remember, you're on their side. Oh, you, oh. It's not you did this, I'm mad at you, and you need to be punished. It needs to be, oh, you did this. Oh, no. That means you have to get punished. Oh. And, and so the re, it's not separating your relationship. But anyway... Um, so have some non-negotiables, stick to that, some lines in the sand where you say, yeah, we can flex on a lot of things, but we don't flex on these things. And then the last thing is this. Remember, the most important thing you can do 
is point your children to God. Use all your influence to point your kids to God, number one. And that's the best thing you can do to to make up for all the mistakes we make during these, these parenting years. So anyway, that's done. You know, moms don't feel guilty about having their kids, your, your kids in every activity. Point them to God. You know, can't do anything. Can't do everything. You can do some things, but just point them to God. I, I, I heard this kind of secondhand through a, a teacher in our community. Let me just throw this out. So I think... As parents, as a culture today, we're missing something. Our kids are in school, and we focus more on their GPA than we do their obedience. And I think that's a huge mistake. We should focus on their obedience. For That's kind of what's wrong with some of the classroom situations. That's why teachers are having such hard... We should focus on their obedience first and let everything come from there. So now back to the woman. So she comes to God. What's the, what's the counterintuitive approach to God? First of all, she comes desperate. Not, hey, God, okay, I've done some things that now you owe me, so I'm good with you. No, it's I'm desperate. The next thing is she comes humbly. She comes, Jesus basically says, hey, it's not right to give to the dogs what I should give to the children first. It, it could be, you know, offensive, and she gets that. She kind of rolls with the whole thing. And, uh, and, and that's the way we need to do it too. It's very, it, she understands that she doesn't have the credentials to meet with Jesus. She's a Gentile. She's a woman. He's trying to maybe get away. Well, he is. He's trying to get away a little bit. And she kind of invades his privacy and persistently asks him to do something for her. But she does it in a humble way. She knows she's not worthy. She totally understands that. And I want to, if you could just see the heart, Mark 7, 27 again. I want to go through this. And he said, so Jesus responds to her. This is the harsh thing. He's saying to her, let the children be satisfied first. And first is a key word. Not that the Gentiles won't get grace. It's just there's an order. Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And now, in this, did you see that bug just land on my ear? They got away. Go bother somebody else, I'm talking. All right. How many, now, did you see that for a while? I mean, are you just letting me let it do this to me? I mean, you didn't care. You didn't, nobody throws out a, hey, Kevin, watch out. Nothing. Especially you guys right here. Oh, I'll, rem- I'll remember that. All right. Okay. Anyway, where was I? All right. So back to my notes. Um, here's the thing. People miss the gospel they, because they approach God the wrong way. And there's two ways people do that. Some people come with a superiority complex. They come with God saying, okay, God, I've kept the traditions. I've kind of done my thing. And again, in our mind, we have this constant danger of diluting God's law. And we start feeling pretty good about where we're at in this. And we think, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. And so we come to God, you kind of owe me. I've done all this, so I'm expecting you to do what I want you to do. Cannot come to God that way. You also cannot come to God with an inferiority complex. Like this lady could have. She didn't come jawing back to Jesus and say, well, hey, I have my rights too. 
superiority. No, she didn't come with an inferiority. She didn't say, oh yeah, I'm a Gentile. I'm the enemy. Yeah, there's no grace for me. No, I've done too much stuff. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. No, I'm too far from God. And both of those perspectives miss how we need to approach God counterintuitively. Because when people think like that, and people think like that today, I'm too far away from God. You are underestimating God, and you're underestimating the love that God has for you. It does not matter what you've done. God loves you and wants and has provided a way to have a relationship with you. So this mother has the right approach. She doesn't do either of those things. But what's cool about this story is she's kind of engaged with Jesus, and they're kind of like wrestling verbally. Watch how this goes, next, next verse here. But she, she answers Jesus. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. Now, this whole word dogs, sometimes maybe some of you have been taught that no, when, when Jesus likens her to a dog, it's not offensive because he's using a different word for dog that's like a puppy dog. Because the word dogs, there is a diminutive form, so it kind of means smaller dog. And, and Jesus is definitely, because the, the Jews would call the Gentiles regular dogs, scavenger dogs. Some of us were in Thailand um, earlier this year, and we went up to Mosul, and we were on the border of Burma. We had a, a pretty good motel that we stayed in for a couple nights. But man, the sun goes down, you hit the hay, and all of a sudden like 20, 30 dogs are in the city streets fighting all night long. They sleep all day and fight all night. And then, then and we thought, well, I'm glad they got that settled. And the next night we came, laid down, went to sleep, same thing. You know, all night long, dogs are fighting. That's kind of the scavenger dogs. In the first century, dogs were looked at a little differently than we do. Dogs were thought of as the scavengers eating carcasses on the outside of the city at the city dump. That's what dogs were. And it was a lot more rare for somebody to have a, a smaller dog that they might keep as a pet. But Jesus is using this word a little differently, a smaller dog, still not looked favorably upon, but could picture a household pet, even a pampered pet, not as pampered as your dog, but still pampered. But either way you slice it, in any culture to call somebody a dog, it's not good. And so, but she runs with this and she embraces the, the little story, the kind of the parable the analogy Jesus uses, and she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. There's another really interesting thing. Jesus said, I'm getting a little detailed here, but Jesus said, you know, not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. He used a word for children that just meant biological children. She tweaks this when she says it. She uses a word for children that's a little broader than just biological children. It actually meant Children of the household and the servants and the slaves, everybody who's there. So she, smart lady, she kind of tweaks that a little bit and throws it back. And look how she's responding to him. And they're kind of having this verbal par. And then it goes on, verse 29. And he said to her, because of this answer, when Jesus says because of this answer, really that's all about faith. Actually, Matthew's recording the same story. He says because of her faith. Because of this, this answer that she gave, hey, I'll just take the leftovers. Hey, I don't have any right to come. Hey, I know the children need to be fed first. 
but I know who you are, and out of the bounty of, and the surplus that you'll feed your children, the Jews, with, I will just be happy with the leftovers that overflow from the table. And Jesus says, because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. Man, she interacts with Jesus. She doesn't get offended at the whole dogs thing. She rolls with it. She has this unique mix of humility and boldness. She's desperate. She's asking. But all this is based on what she knows of the character of Jesus Christ. And she displays faith in him as she gives this answer. And when she does it, Jesus takes care of her need. And that's the way it really needs to be for us. She's saying, I'm not coming because I'm worthy. I'm coming because of who you are. I'm not coming because I deserve anything. I'm coming because of your goodness. And we see, lastly, that she came in faith. In desperation, humility, and faith, she approaches God. And she does it kind of persistently. And Jesus says we can come and ask pers- persistently. So here's the question. How have you approached God? Because in your approach to God, in your life, if it's, if it's kind of based on that you're a pretty good person or a pretty good mom or pretty good dad, pretty good anything, kind of based on that you're not as bad as some people and you're okay and your morality is, it's not, you're not perfect, but you're pretty good. If that's the way you're approaching God, it's intuitive, but it's totally wrong. If you're approaching God through obedience, well, God, I can approach you because I've done all this stuff. You've asked me to do this and I'm trying to do all that and I really try hard. You can't approach God that way. It's intuitive, but it's wrong. We all, for us to understand the gospel, for us to get a relationship with God, we have to first know how to approach God. We have to approach him him humbly. He doesn't. None of us deserve anything from God. God owes us nothing. We approach him humbly. That's what God's telling us to do. But we also approach him with faith, knowing that he can give us what we need. So where are you at on that? And because that's the most important thing, if you're not approaching God right, then you're not understanding the gospel, and then you haven't understood grace. Just before we close the service, I'd like us all to bow our heads and just give you an opportunity to respond to God that way. We're saying none of us deserve goodness from God because he's given us, given us a standard and none of us have kept it. And because he's righteous and holy, sin has to be judged. And that means there's a, a right and just penalty for all of us. But because God loves us, he allowed his son to come and live a perfect life with no sin, but yet die to pay our penalty. And the way we get that, 
that gift of grace is through faith. And that's the good news. That's the gospel. If you're ready to do that, if you're ready to place your faith in him and you don't think you've done that before, just based on God's goodness and that you're bringing nothing to the table, then I want you to pray this prayer today. It's the prayer that every Christian has prayed. Father in heaven, I understand that, um, that you owe me nothing and that I'm a sinner and what I deserve is punishment for my sin because of your justice and righteousness. But God, I also know that you love me. And God, I thank you for that. And I also understand that because you love me, you love me with action and you allowed your one and only son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, come to heaven, wrap himself in humanity, leave heaven, come to earth, live a perfect life, and then die for my personal sin. God, and I thank you for that kind of love. And God, I'm placing my trust, my faith, my belief in Jesus and Jesus alone for my salvation because I have nothing to offer. And God, I want you to come into my life and help me to follow you. Help my life reflect the relationship that I have with you in Christ's name. Amen.